Hello, my friends. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we have been talking about, uh, about God's grace and man's faith. And we shall kind of continue with that. And uh, I want to uh, end, uh, actually begin by repeating something that I said yesterday, which is very, very important. And I talked about that by the first thing was uh, how faith can be, uh, you know, about faith when it comes to family and influence. And I mentioned the scripture from 2 Timothy 1.5 when Paul talks to Timothy and talks about, uh, it says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. So he talks about uh, faith uh, that, you know, that comes from the family. And we have to remember that, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I know uh, great men of God whose children and whose grandchildren and great-grandchildren uh, have served God, are serving God, and God is doing wonderful things like I, uh, like the uh, great-grandson of uh, famous Pentecostal evangelist uh, Smith Wigglesworth, his great-grandson, uh, Pastor Peter DeFin is a, a wonderful, amazing man of God with a great church in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I've known him for many, many years. Then I preach for him. But I also preach for his dad when his dad was pastoring the church. Then I preach for his grandfather when his grandfather was, his, was very old, a few years before he went home to be with the Lord. So I've seen that, that spirit of faith through the generations. But that doesn't come automatically by pedigree. Uh, if you grow up in a strong Christian home with a strong Christian heritage, it can put you in the right, it can push you in the right direction. But the only way you can really acquire faith is through the word of God, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith doesn't come through, uh, a, you know, it's not inherited biologically. It, it is only gotten through uh, through faith in God's word, by God's word, by hearing God's word. But thank God for godly heritage and godly influence. That's the word I should use, godly influence. And uh, I didn't grow up in a godly home. And so I never, uh, you know, received any guidance or any help in that direction. But I've done the best for my children and my three children, they, they all love Jesus and I'm grateful for that. So, but I remember each one of them had to respond to the altar call and make their own decision for following Jesus. So that's why I've seen children and grandchildren of great men of God. Uh, sometimes they are serving Jesus. Sometimes they are not living in the world, living in sin. So it all depends upon godly influence and thank God for godly families because then the, uh, then the chances of the child being under that godly influence is great. Now, the other way, uh, the other thing about, uh, you know, faith to, through family and influence is by association with men and women of faith. When I was a young man, I, I wanted to be close to men who were used by God. So the earliest influences on my life were Harry Greenwood and... Uh, uh, and uh, Brother Ian Andrews and uh, uh, Brother Harry Greenwood. I mean, that was the first time in my life I ever saw uh, anybody, you know, speak in tongues and, 
and, and, and, and moving the words of knowledge and people getting healed. I was very fascinated. So I, I tried to be close to him and I was close to him and he was a great influence on my life. Then another man who was actually Pastor Harry Greenwood was his pastor and uh, is Brother Ian Andrews and Brother Ian Andrews is still alive and preaching the gospel going strong, stronger than ever before. And he's been a great influence in my life. And I remember the early days when I was just a young whippersnapper who knew nothing. And I, I, I used to watch him minister and how he flowed in the gifts of the spirit. So thank God for being in close proximity to men and women of God. Then later on in my life, I got to know brother Kenneth Hagen and uh, Reinhard Bonke. I mean, these were both all by mentors and and I'm grateful for their influence in my life. But you see, I had to want to be around these men so I could watch them up close and, and watch their life and uh, uh, watch their, you know, not just listen to them preach, but I, I watched how they treated people. And, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I watched their character. I watched, watched their kindness, their love. I watched their faith. I watched their prayer lives. And those are the things that had an impact on me. Uh, it's, it's, it's also the character of the man. Then I've seen other people greatly used by God in miracles, but rude, obnoxious, arrogant, and I've stayed away from them. So I've always sought godly influences, but godly influences push me towards seeking God. But it's only the word of God that can give us faith. So I wanted you to think of that. Uh, thank God for godly parents if you have them. And also, I would advise you to, 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 to be in the close proximity of men and women who are used by God and uh, watch their doctrine, watch their character, watch how they do things and learn from them and let the Holy Spirit use that to push you in the right direction. Anyway, today I'm going to talk about levels of faith. There are actually levels of faith. That's what it appears from the scripture that there are levels of faith. Now, there are four scriptures I found in Matthew 6.30, Matthew 8.26, Matthew 16.8, and Luke 12.28. And they all say the same thing. And this is when Jesus said to people, O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. I found this four times in the Gospels. Now, that means it's obvious that there were people of little faith. But then I also saw great faith, great faith in Matthew verse 15, 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So there is great faith. Now, let me, let's show you another interesting story in Luke 7 verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, uh, this is actually the healing of the centurion's servant. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So here's, here's a guy who was a Gentile. He was not even a Jew. And uh, Jesus said, I have not found such faith in Israel. I mean, Israel were God's people, but in Israel, he didn't find such faith as he found in, uh, you know, in, in the Gentile. And it's interesting. Why? Because you see this, this uh, Roman uh, centurion 
um, I would like you to, I'd like to tell you the story how he approached Jesus. So he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, my servant is at home. He's, he's lying sick and he's dying. And then he said, you don't even have to come to my house, but please just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And uh, then, then he explained why he, he believed that. He said, because I'm a man under authority. Uh, he was a centurion and a centurion is in command of a hundred men, a century. And in today's terms, he would be like a company commander, like a captain or a major, uh, you know, a, commanding an infantry company. So let's say he was a captain or a major commanding an infantry company and a captain or a major is like a mid-ranking officer. He's got, cap he's got captains and lieutenants. If he's a major, he's got captains and subalterns, which are lieutenants and second lieutenants. And then he's got the non-commissioned officers, the NCOs and the enlisted men under him. But then over him, he has his lieutenant colonel, which is his battalion commander. He has <coughs> full colonels and brigadiers and you know people of varying ranks over him. So he's kind of in between. And this is what he says. And, and he understood the military chain of command. In the military, they have the chain of command. And everybody who wears the uniform knows his place in the chain of command. He knows who's over him. He knows who's under him. So he says, Lord, I'm a man under authority. And I have uh, men under my authority. So he says, I tell this one, go. Tell that one, comes. And when I say go, they go. And when I say come, they come. So what he's saying is that I am under authority, I have people over me. When they tell me to go and come, I go and come. And those who are under me, when I tell them to jump, they ask me how high. So he said, so this is my paraphrase of the whole situation. So he says, so I know you are under the father's authority. He didn't say that, but that's what he implied. You are under the father's authority and demons and diseases are therefore subject to you. So you just have to give the word of command, you know, in, in, in the army, uh, whatever, uh, when, when an officer gives a command, this, that's called the word of command. Like when he says attention or stand at ease or salute or left turn, right turn, quick march. Those are words of command. So he says, you just give the word of command and the diseases will leave and my uh, servant is going to be healed. And that's when Jesus says, wow, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And this is interesting because in this case, this centurion's great faith was his understanding of spiritual authority, his understanding of, uh, you know, taken from his military background about who Jesus was, how he was under the authority of the father and how demons and diseases were under his authority as a consequences of him being under the authority of the father. So, and this was great faith. So, I always say this, that uh, your level of authority always depends upon your level of obedience. If you put yourself under authority, you will have authority. That is why it's so important for us Christians to submit to the spiritual authority that God has put over us. And when we do that, we have authority and that understanding uh, uh, of spiritual authority and how it works, Jesus called that great faith. So I want you to think of that. He said, I've not seen such great faith even in Israel. Now, let me give you another story in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 28 to 31. And this is the story of when Peter walked on the water. So, you know, they were all on the boat and then they 
they, they see this man coming, walking in the water and they were all scared. They thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, oh, it is me. Don't worry. It's me. And then it says here from verse 28. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water. So Peter, you know, Peter was the impulsive one. He was always the one who was out there. And he said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. This is interesting. Why didn't he say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. If Jesus can walk on the water, I can also walk on the water. No, he said, Jesus, if it is you, call me to come to you on the water. Why? He wanted a word to come from the mouth of Jesus because he knew that for him to do something like that, like walking on water, he needed a word from Jesus. And this is, this is spiritual maturity to know uh, when we need a word from God to do something. You know, I mean, Jesus, I will do this, but you give me a word and I will stand on that word. So this was such an amazing, astounding thing for a man, a mere man to walk on water. So he saw Jesus on the water, but he thought in his mind, I need a word from God if I'm going to do it, because if I have a word from the mouth of Jesus, that word will carry me. And so he says, if, if you, if it is you, call me to you so I can come to you in the water. And Jesus said, come. He said one word, come, C-O-M-E. And Peter, he just stepped out of the ship and he began to walk on the water. And uh, uh, somebody said years ago that, uh, uh, that Peter didn't walk on the, uh, on, on the water, but he walked on those letters of the word come. Jesus said, C-O-M-E, come. It, it was lightly said, but you know, it was beautiful. He said, he stepped on the C, he stepped on the O, he stepped on the M, and he stepped on the E. And he says, but somewhere in between, he saw the winds and the waves, and he kind of stepped between two of the letters and he fell into the water. But this is interesting. He says, when Jesus said, come, Peter walked on the basis of the word that came out of the mouth of Jesus. And he began to walk on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, why didst thou doubt? Now, this is interesting because here in this story, Peter actually starts with what Jesus would call great faith. Because if Peter hadn't sunk, Jesus wouldn't have rebuked him for little faith. He would have said, Peter, you've got great faith. You walked on the water. But his great faith turned into little faith when he got his eyes away from Jesus. And he began to look at the water and look at the winds. And that is when it says he was afraid. We see when he looked at the circumstances, as long, as long as he looked at Jesus and acted on the word of Jesus, he was okay. He walked on the water. But the moment he looked at the waves, he looked at the wind and he looked at his circumstances, the Bible says fear hit him. And when fear came, he was afraid and he began to sink. And then he cried out, Jesus, save me. And thank God Jesus came and picked him up out of the water and, and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's what he said. Uh, what he meant was that your faith was great. You did okay. But then why did you doubt? Well, Peter could have said, I doubted because I got my eyes off you. 
and I looked at the wind and the waves. Then there are other people who will say, ah, you see, Peter, um, you know, he, he, he didn't have faith. He began to sink. Well, if Peter didn't have faith, what about the other 11 disciples who stayed in the boat and didn't dare to get their feet wet? Just think, at least Peter, he dared. And where he missed it was when he looked at the circumstances and um, instead of looking at Jesus. But, the, but he started with great faith, but he finished with little faith. So uh, great faith really is when we look at Jesus. That, that's what it is, you know, because you see, little faith, uh, faith cannot be measured in pounds or kilograms or feet or meters or inches or in liters or gallons. Uh, there's no measure for faith that way. But faith is a quality and that uh, depends upon who you are, who's your faith is in, who do you put your faith in. So, you know, everybody has, has doubt and everybody has faith. And we, uh, you know, I begin, when I begin to talk about faith, I said that God has given to every man a measure of faith. And I want to tell you a story. Many, many, many years ago, uh, uh, I was preaching in Sweden and uh, I was actually, I had moved to the U.S. I was invited to preach in Sweden and uh, close to the West Coast. And one day a journalist came to see me. This lady, she was nice and, and uh, she called me. She said, Pastor, may I interview you? I said, sure, come along. I normally don't like to be interviewed by journalists, especially in Sweden. I mean, those people are bad people. They will turn and twist your words against you. They're against Christians. But this lady sounded very nice and uh, very friendly. So I said, please come and see me. So she came to see me. And we began the interview and she said to me, she said, listen, uh, Pastor, I just want you to know that my editor is very much against people like you. And uh, but I want to be objective. I, I don't want to vilify you because you are a man of God. I'm not a Christian. I don't share your faith, but but I respect you. So I promise to be objective. I said, OK, I said, be objective, but please don't twist my words. Please don't claim that I said something I didn't say. Please don't do that. If you can promise me, I'll do that interview. And she promised me. So she began to ask me. We spoke for like two, two and a half hours. She was asking me all these questions about my life, about what I believed and all that. And when we finished, I said, you know, lady, you're very nice, very sweet. Thank you. It's been a wonderful time. Now, you have been asking me all these questions. Can I ask you one question? And she said, sure. I said, uh, do you have peace with God? I mean, look, if you were to die, the one day will, you will die. That day will come. It will all happen, happen to all of us. I said, are you going to heaven or to hell? And she said, she said, I don't really know. I said, uh, do you believe in Jesus? She said, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's like this. Um, I've, I've heard of Jesus and there are times I, I believe, but uh, much of the time I don't believe. I said, I said, you know what, uh, I understand. You are like everybody else, even like me. I said, we all struggle with faith and doubt, all of us. He said, really? I said, yeah, everybody struggles with faith and doubt because faith is what the word of God says and doubt is what our mind says. And, and we all try to, you know, we, we fight between faith and doubt all the time. Even I do that. Uh, I get attacked with doubts in my mind and I have to struggle through it. And I understand if you do other, but here's a difference. The key difference between you and me is that I have built my life on my faith while you have built your life on your doubts. You said 
that there are times you do believe in Jesus, but on the whole, you don't believe in him because your doubts are stronger than your faith. You say you have faith and doubt, but your doubts, you have been following your doubts. You have been letting your doubts decide for you what you're, where you're going to go. Is that true? She said, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, I believe, but then I see what, you know, my doubts take over. I said, same thing, but I do the opposite. I have faith, I have doubts, but I believe on my faith. And uh, I, I said, you feed your doubts and you starve your faith. And I feed my faith and I starve my doubts. That's the only difference between us. Otherwise, we are the same. And I said that, I said that, but you see, here's the thing. Faith is a quality. Uh, what about doubt? Doubt is the absence of a quality. Doubt is nothing. It's like a vacuum. There's nothing there. I said, everybody in this world who has ever invented something, um, you know, the airplane, cars, I mean, uh, uh, penicillin, any kind of innovation, anything that, that has benefited Mankind, they have all been able to do so because they believed somebody, I mean, believed something. They've had a concept that they believed in. And I said, nobody has ever invented or built anything because of their doubts. She said, you're right. So I said that what you need to do is to start building on faith instead of building on doubt. Because if you begin to starve your doubts and feed your faith, that is how your life will change. And... She said, wow, I never thought of that. I said, so what are you going to do? She said, Pastor, I'm going to do what you tell me to do because it makes sense to me. And so I said, can we receive Jesus now? She said, yeah, by all means. I said, so what I want you to do right now, I don't know what percentage uh, is your doubt and what percentage is, is your faith. But if you feel like your faith is even 10%, your doubts are even 90%, you reach out to that 10% and hold on to it and base your decision on that because that faith, that 10% faith is worth more than the 90% doubt because a doubt is actually nothing. It's the absence of faith. She said, that makes sense. So she, we prayed together, she received Jesus. Two days later, that article came. It was a big article in the newspaper. It was all about how to get saved and about, I mean, it was just wonderful. So, uh, you know, I should say, so I say to you, uh, you know, great faith is, is when you build on your faith. And, you know, little faith, great faith. Faith cannot be measured in quality. And, but little faith is when you look at the wrong thing. And great faith is when you look at Jesus. That's the only difference because nobody can measure faith. Because if you look at, if you look at Luke 17 verses 5 and 6, this is what the disciples said to Jesus. Because when we talk about little faith, great faith, that means that little faith can be increased and turned into great faith, right? I mean, if Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, then you will say, okay, fine. Jesus, you said, I have little faith. I want this thing to grow and I want it to become great faith, big faith, so I can do big things. So, but I say little faith and big faith, they cannot be measured in feet or inches or liters or, or miles or kilometers or pounds and kilograms, but because they are not, um, how do you say, uh, quantitative uh, things, they're qualitative things. A little faith is when you look at the circumstances and big faith is when you're looking at Jesus. So in Luke 17 verses 5 and 6, the apostles said unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. So Lord, 
tell us how we can make my, our faith greater. And this is what the Lord said to them. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it shall obey you. Wow. He didn't give them a formula. He didn't say, well, you speak in tongues so many hours every day and then you do this and you do that and your faith will grow. He didn't say that. What he said wasn't really an answer. And they said, increase our faith. And they said, listen, if you had the faith, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, a grain of mustard seed is actually the smallest seed you find in the Middle East. It is so tiny that if you hold it at an arm's length, it would be very hard for you to see it. It is that tiny. And Jesus said, you know what? If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, then you can say to this tree right there, be thou plucked up by the roots and be thou planted in the sea and it will obey you. So what he said, he said, you don't need great faith as you were thinking, great faith, big faith. What you need is little faith in a great God. So it really comes down to one thing, not the size of your faith or you feel faith. You know, some people, they want to feel faith. They say, oh, I feel great faith. No, it's not that. What you need is how big is your Jesus? That's the first thing. And secondly, is your Jesus bigger than the devil? Or I would have said your devil, but I don't mean in that sense your devil, but is your Jesus bigger than the devil that is facing you? Is your Jesus bigger than the disease that is facing you? If the disease that is facing you is bigger than the Jesus who lives inside you, then you are going to lose. But if the Jesus who lives in you is greater than the disease that is facing you, then you're going to win. That's why in 1 John 4, 4, John said to the church, he said, you are of God, little children. And I've overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Incident, incidentally, in that epistle, 1 John, John talks about, uh, uh, you know, th those who are, who are uh, the children in faith. Then he talks about the grown-up men. Then he talks about the fathers in the faith. And talks about the quality of the children, the, uh, those who are children in the faith, little children. He talks about them. Then he talks about the young men who are you know, the young men, the strong young men. Then he talks about the old men who are the fathers in the faith. It's interesting, but here he's talking about the little children. He says, you are of God, little children. That means that even if you're not a father in the faith or a, you're a young warrior in the faith, but you're a little child in the faith, you have still overcome the devil because the one who lives in you is greater than the one who lives in the world. Beloved, remember you who are watching me, you are of God. Even if you're a little child in the faith and you're not this big spiritual giant or whatever, he says, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world. So your being an overcomer and, 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 you know, has nothing to do with how you feel or how people say, well, you, you know, you are not very mature. It has nothing to do with that, but it has to do with how big your Jesus is. If the Jesus in you is so big, he's so great that he's greater than any devil in the world. You are a winner. You are an overcomer and your faith is great. He says, you are of God, 
little children and you have overcome them. And them means the devil because the one who lives in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Praise the Lord. I want to end with this today and may the Lord bless you. May you continue in his word and be strong because that is how you acquire faith. That is how you get faith by, by the word of God. And it is the word of God that will make Jesus in your sight. Jesus is still Jesus. He's great. But how great is he in your spiritual eyes? That's the thing that is going to determine it all. Well, God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are watching me. Father, let them stand strong in your word, impart your word into them and let them be strong in faith. And Father, if there be any sickness or disease in their homes, I curse those evil things in the name of Jesus. And as God's servant, I speak life and health and blessing to you. Be healed, be blessed. Father, bless them, touch them, Father and continue to do your work in them in Jesus' name. Praise God. Well, I'll be here tomorrow, and I'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.